the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers radio show. Heard at faithtalk1360.com every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. That's faithtalk1360.com and faithtalk1360. And you can find it on uh, as a podcast all around, wherever you go, Facebook, Spotify, iPodcast or Instagram, you'll just uh, Google uh, Rescuers Radio Show and you'll find us wherever. We're everywhere. <laughs> wherever God wants us to be, that's where we are. So uh, I have a great guest today, and right here in front of me is Peggy Bilstein. And Peggy, so good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> Our, uh, we actually know each other, known each other for a long time. Yes. But today... Uh, not just me, but the audience is going to get to know you a lot better. So I always like uh, starting off the Rescuers Radio Show with uh, our guests giving you your backstory. How did you get here? Well, let's see. I uh, I grew up in Florida, went to college in Orange City, Iowa, where I met the love of my life. And after graduating, um, when he asked me to marry him, I said, just take me somewhere warm. <laughs> and I fell in love with this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful state. I love Arizona so much. And uh, we moved here, raised our, our – we have two children, uh, raised our kiddos here, and we've been here for over 30 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so just just love – I love this city, the city of Phoenix, so much that I was actually a, a school teacher, and I taught kindergarten. And I had a really big class of like 24 little kiddos. And um, so much of that time was spent with their moms, holding their hands, trying to help them. Um, single moms, just trying to make things yeah. work and worried about their kiddos. And uh, long story short, I decided to run for city council, the Phoenix City Council, because I wanted to try to make a difference in their lives. Nice. So somebody encouraged you to do that or you just woke up one morning and yeah. said... I'm going to do this. Now, you know, so I just started getting really involved. And, yeah. and, and uh, actually, the way, the way I got involved specifically is I started a block watch at our house. And, uh, and on Easter Sunday, believe it or not, we had uh, a string of break-ins while people were at church. Oh. And I couldn't believe it. A neighbor of mine two doors down had been broken into, and I didn't know her name. And I thought, you know, shame on me. And so we started a block watch. Uh, and we uh, had like over 600 people in this block watch. We just organized by wow. street, and every street had a captain. And in 10 days, just getting information out 
we caught the bad guy. Really? I, I mean, the police did, yeah. just by <laughs> being able to give them that information. And I learned something so important about community yeah. and being in community. And God c- creates us to be in relationships. And by forming, you know, it's just these great relationships with folks, and they encouraged me. And at that time, Mayor, um, well, he was Councilman Skip Remsa, had resigned to run for mayor. And some of my friends said, uh, hey, they're going to appoint somebody. You should do that. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding me? I don't have any, you know, experience in, in uh, politics or anything like that. And uh, let me just say, I was the only one that had a Sunday school teaching on my resume, vacation Bible school, coaching, <laughs> teaching. And I was shocked when I was chosen by the city council um, to represent District 3, the most glorious, beautiful district in all the city of Phoenix, and uh, to serve on the city council. But there are rules, so you can only sit in that seat for like 30 days without without being elected. So many elections later, um, yeah, I was, I was so blessed to serve 14 years wow. as a Phoenix city councilwoman. And you were vice mayor at, at one point. Twice. And you accomplished a lot there. Um, but I'd like to ask you... Um, you did a lot of things within the within the city council. Uh, I love the story about raising seven point three million dollars. What was that for? Which project? Uh, the project was. Do I might? Oh, I got them on, don't I? <laughs> I hate, do you ever do that? Oh, so many times. Say Art. you do. Would you? So, you know, it's it's the silver part of my hair yeah. that just gives so us permission. It was establishing that uh, family advocacy oh, yeah. center and. Uh, Bob White from the Phoenix PD was the head of Silent Witness at the time. Yes. Very good friend of mine still. He lives, he retired. He lives in Texas now with his family. But um, Bob took me for a tour in that center, and it's amazing uh, the way it was built, the reason it was built, and the secrecy, and, you know, nobody can get in except the, those as that I, need help. As I talked about earlier, um, one of my passions were, is they're women. And and I am a personal survivor of, of childhood abuse. And I think once that happens, you just have a place in your heart. And I, I, I sat on the public safety subcommittee, and I found out that the number one reason that women are killed is from domestic violence. Mm. The most dangerous call a police officer can go on is it a domestic is. violence uh, call. We saw that in action this past year. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I uh, I started getting more involved and, and a lot of wonderful, wonderful men and women on the police department who um, just walked alongside of me and then these champions in our community like Connie Phillips with the Sojourner Center and so many others just said, I, I said, what do we need? And they said services. I couldn't believe we didn't even have rape kits funded. Oh so, gosh. yeah, it was so crazy. Um, so I talked to the council and the mayor and the city manager at that time, Frank Fairbanks, a wonderful yeah, man, Frank, yeah. wonderful man, and just talked to them about the needs. And we did. We raised that money. It was an election, um, bond election. People supported it, and it was a one-stop place where people could get help. Yeah. A woman could come in, whether she was going to make a report or not, and get help and get counseling. And then we do the fiscal exams there, and we had special nurses who were trained in, in how to collect the evidence who would take care of it. And, um, yeah, that, that's, one of, that's one of my proudest um, projects that we were involved with. But, boy, it sure it doesn't happen by yourself. You know, you, God puts people in your life who are, who are uh, 
brilliant and passionate and walk alongside of you so that these things happen. Yeah. Well, um, at some point, uh, you, you, it, it became to you in your heart of hearts that you needed to get more involved in human trafficking yeah. and prostitution and uh, everything that comes with that. How did that happen for you? Well, so like I said, um, I sat on the public safety subcommittee and um, got to know a lot of men and women on the police force. And one day I had um, a prosecutor for the city of Phoenix come to me and say, hey, I don't know if you're aware of all the sex trafficking that happens in Phoenix. And I thought, are you sure you're talking about the United States? I know this happens in other parts of the country, uh, other parts of the world, but not here. And um, I asked her, her name was Sharon Stope, a wonderful, wonderful woman. I asked her to uh, teach me everything she could about that. And as I, so I started talking to police officers, wonderful heroes, who would go out and rescue these girls day in and day out. And the more I found out, it just broke my heart. Like the average age was 13. And the misconceptions, everybody thought, oh, those kids, you know, and, and that they did something. That would make, you know, it's kind of like victim blaming. Well, it's their fault. They ran away or they did this. And it was horrific. Yeah. And the more I learned, the, the more involved I got. And I was called out one day um, to do a, a press piece on a rescue where they rescued a young lady who had uh, been kept in a dog crate. Oh, my. Mm. And it was in an apartment complex in Phoenix, right in the middle of the day. Every, mm. I mean... It just wasn't what people thought. And as I heard her story and um, the things that happened to her, I just thought, you know what? i got to get out there, and as uncomfortable as it is for people to hear, they need to hear what's happening to our children yeah. and, and what we can do and how can we prevent it. And more, most importantly, do we have laws that will hold these people accountable? Mm. Yeah, I I. I think recently there was another bust of of trafficking Um, just last week. But um, so out of that, you you weren't the founder, but you had a lot to do with the startup of Streetlight, correct? Yes. Actually, I co-founded it with Pastor Larry Fraley. Okay. And um, when when all when everything was going on with the uh, sex trafficking movement, actually, I called it rape for profit because I thought people really needed to know what was going on. Um, I worked with uh, Pat McCullough. He's a pastor now at Food for the Hungry. And we got together uh, pastors, leading pastors in the valley, and just had a collective meeting and said, look, this is what's going on. And my question to them is, where are God's people? Where are God's people? Where are we in the fight to protect them? Where are we in... Uh, providing housing for them and where are we in holding people accountable and let me tell you people responded Mm. and um, we were able to buy uh, an incredible facility that was really already set up for our needs at uh, a great price and it was just amazing and so Streetlight and our goal in Streetlight my goal personally was kind of like the Family Advocacy Center where somebody could come to get healing. First of all, when girls were rescued from this, they were usually prosecuted, Mm. prosecuted for prostitution. And I thought, you know, are you kidding me? They're victims here. 
And so we were able to change that mindset. And as soon as they would come into Streetlight, they had a, a beautiful bedroom. There wasn't a dog cage in sight. Mm-hmm. And from the moment they walked in, we wanted them to know that they are the daughter of a king yeah. who loves and adores them and weeps over what happened to them. And make sure they have trauma counseling. And anyway, it was it's just a wonderful wraparound service. It's still going on now. Um, and I understand that, you know, just doing really well. And there's a few other places like this in the country. But it is important. And if any of your... Um, listeners are interested they could go to streetlight.org see how they can participate but most importantly um, they need to be made aware of how it happens yes don't close your eyes make sure you know what your kids social media stuff is saying they are lured kids are lured and um and it's it's just so important i not sure where it exists today, but a few years ago, maybe in the last five or six years, a uh, Bible study that I was in, one of the gentlemen there uh, started uh, underwriting at the Dream Center uh, special suites where the ladies uh, could stay. Very plush apartment-type yes. settings. Are you aware of that? So I believe yeah. the Dream Center is now, I, th- I believe they're the folks running Streetlight. Um, the Dream Center here in okay, Phoenix. Yeah. And, you know, so it started, Dream Center started an incredible in LA, program. Yeah. Yes, in yeah. L.A. Yeah. And so they have a real heart here in the city um, just for, you know, people who, who need hope. And so I believe they're actually the folks uh, running Street Light now. Well, I think, um, well, I'm pretty sure the, the First Assembly of God Church up on Cave Creek Road now changed its name to Dream Center. Oh. I think that whole campus now okay. is called Dream Center. I just think it's so important. I think it's so important yeah. as as people who love God yeah. um, that, you know, he tells us. Yeah. We are to be with the least. You know, I, I remember when he said, You're hung- I was hungry and you did not feed me. <laughs> I was naked and you did not clothe me. Clothe me. And they said, when was this, God? When was this? And he said, what you've done for the least, you have done for me. Mm. So... It's hard for me when I drive by somebody who's homeless or struggling not to see God in that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing and to have that heart and that focus and and know, and understand that it's a reality. It's not it's this isn't made made up stuff. Um you you took your uh the the time and the years that you've put into human trafficking and and uh uh street light are amazing programs, but there was a point that you ended up uh, going international, uh, making visits to the Congo, and then another one to um, Uganda, right? Yes, Uganda, Uganda, all over Africa. And and what was your mission there? Well, so I was at an event, and I saw this wonderful, wonderful pastor by the name of Dr. David Kasali from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he talked about how that in his little community, Beni, um, that over 300,000 women were raped as an act of war. Oh, my gosh. And he said, you know, everybody tells us how we're supposed to live as Christians, but how do we do it when it's hell on earth? Mm. And it just, uh, you know, just uh, my heart was broken 
And I spoke with him afterwards and said, you know, I'd really love to come and visit your community and brought some folks with. And um, it's amazing, you know. I'm, I mean, it was really awful. Mm-hmm. And yet these sweet people somehow at the end of the day were kind and wonderful and gracious and full of hope. Wow. They would pray, Art. I mean, we would have 24 I would be exhausted from their <laughs> prayer services. I brought Jana Scott, who was the governor's uh, faith liaison there. And, and as a matter of fact, because we started, Dr. Kasali and his wife started a university, the Bilingual University of Congo because they wanted these young people to have hope and wanted to make sure that they had the tools to to create a better community for themselves. Wanted to make sure that women had an opportunity to go to university. And so um, Jana and I went there on the very first uh, day the school opened. And since then, they so many people have graduated with with degrees in engineering. Oh, my gosh. Uh, solar, water. And, and, and these wonderful, amazing young people have come back, and, and they have companies now. They, they farming, agriculture, how's the best way to do it. And, um, but most importantly, we have all kinds of, uh, through a group called Mending the Soul, all kinds of um, trauma recovery. We have trauma recovery groups. We teach the trainers on how to do it. So it's just not mm. we, they call us Mazungus, Mazungus that come over and say, we have all the answers. Let me tell you how it works. <laughs> it, it, it's people with the heart over there. Yeah. So many of them survivors themselves who say, we want to be part of the healing. We oh, want to bring wonderful. God's message to them. So this is post Civil War within the country, or is that all still going on yeah, while so, in the midst of this? Yeah, so they're they are still having um, problems with the rebels, okay. and yeah, I mean, many times when we were there, we had to we were just had to be very very careful, and they had a, the huge Ebola outbreak hit Benny very mm. very very hard. So in the midst of all of these, but mm. I'll tell you what, I've never met. met people more full of hope than my Congolese brothers and sisters. Right in the midst of all of that yeah. strife. Yeah. That's amazing. And what about the Congo? And you, yeah, so that's similar story? Yeah, no, so that's what I was that's what we Oh were, that was yeah the Congo. That was the Congo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But Indonesia, I had the opportunity to go with that to that uh, Indonesia while I was on the city council. And I know a lot of folks um, might be familiar with that since so many Phoenicians uh, gave of anything that they had to help these people that they had never met 10,000 miles away. And this was after a tsunami, right? It was right yeah. after the tsunami. Yeah. And, you know, our, the same thing happened. You know, I'm, I'm watching CNN and, I, you know, nice house, two kids, wonderful husband. And I'm thinking, what would I do if in one moment's notice all of that was gone? gone. And I went to then Mayor Phil Gordon and said, uh, Please, the city of Phoenix, we need a new sister city, and it needs to be humanitarian. And please, we have got to go there. And, of course, he thought I was a little crazy <laughs> and said, you know, if you can get the partners and you can get a way to do it, I'm, I'm all ears. And Food for the Hungry were their, um, their, their uh, national organization. Their office is right down the street from us. I went to them, and together uh, we went to Indonesia 10 days after it happened. And we saw horrific things. Um, And we were the only, and still are to this day, the only state 
that had an intergovernmental agreement with Indonesia. And where we went, we wanted to go. It was important to me that we picked a place that if we didn't go, nobody else would. And before the tsunami, there were 100,000 people. They lost 60,000 people in one day. Oh, my gosh. And most of the people they lost were children or older folks who couldn't get away from the water. Mm. And everybody thought it was just like, you know, a beautiful Thailand beach that this Mm. happened to. It was a community, and it was just so far inland. But we, uh, so we had a relationship with them for 10 years. And we brought engineers over. We brought police and firefighters over. Um, Gordon James, (laughs) you know, because we wanted, they, we said, how can we serve you? What do you want to know? Well, first of all, they wanted housing. You know, they wanted to know how, they wanted to rebuild. So they, you know, they did that. And uh, they also wanted to know, how do you have police that aren't corrupt? (laughs) And you mean, how does that work? And so we brought Andy Hill <laughs> and, you know, Gordon James yeah. and George Weiss. And we brought some amazing people and then a whole group of firefighters. And those firefighters. So George at that time was uh, working, for, he was chief of staff for Brewer? For Mayor Gordon. Mayor Gordon. Yes. Okay. Yes. He I was thought it was working. at the state level, but. Yeah. So he did. Okay. And then yeah. and then we stole him. Yeah. <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful man. And there's, uh, so some of our listeners may not know who uh, Gordon James is. Gordon is a logistical guy. Uh, he did logistics for uh, uh, both Bush White Houses for a while, and he did the changeover of government from from in Iraq. Yes, uh, and um, an amazing guy. But he's right here in the in the city of Phoenix. Uh, we're so blessed. We have some amazing people, don't we? Yeah, I mean, real heroes. And and you know, I'm sure people told them it's not safe to go over there. They would tell me that all the time. But I always felt safe. And these sweet people, they didn't have a home. And whatever they had, they would give to us. They, they made sure we ate before they did. And did they embrace Christianity or Islam? or? Yeah, so it was uh, thought to be 100% Muslim at the okay. time. And, and um, our hope was that we had to be very careful because you could be— imprisoned or they i mean where we went had sharia law it just seems i mean i'm very naive in saying this but in the midst of all of that all of that chaos and death and everything is gone you think they would be open to anything well i'll tell you what um it was amazing because they wanted to know why in the world would we come there What would, why would, you know, they just saw us as America. Why would America come here? Why would you help us build schools? Why would you help us, you know, grow crops? Why would you do all this? And when they asked, I would say it's because we love God. And, and, and that's what he asked us to do. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of those folks, and I can't get into some of it because it's still very um, political over there. Sure. But they did. They came to know God. They came to know, um, and I would say it was, uh, you know, faith through action. We had a team of uh, Food for the Hungry folks over there that were just unbelievable, served folks every single day. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it was a great experience. And, you know, the other thing, Art, is it was funded. It wasn't funded with any tax dollars. And I would go to churches and schools and ask for help, donations. It was one of the easiest ass I ever had. My goodness. I remember going to Kennel, Kenilworth Elementary. Yeah. And this class just brought me to tears. On Fridays, they would have ice cream. And what I knew about that school, many of those kids came hungry. Many of those kids at 
at Kenilworth, you know, they didn't have the means yeah. to be given. They saved their ice cream money to give it to us to take over to Indonesia along with pictures and notes. And I thought, you know what? That day, those those kids did not feel poor. Those, wow. Yeah, those kids felt blessed. They had something to give, and they did. And I'll tell you, it, it touched me. My goodness. So what a, what an experience you've had. And, and you've been at the front leadership capacity of all of these. And what a story you have. And what an impact you have in the hearts of men and women and children to, um, to change and start thinking differently. Well, thank you. You know what, Art, I think so many times, it, you know, it blows my mind uh, that God chose me, you know. Uh, and especially when you struggle with uh, uh, an abusive past, yeah. that God can use. And, and that's, that's the reason I'm here. I want, I want your listeners to know if he can use me, he can use anybody. anybody. Our biggest mistake, Art, is if we don't say yes. That's right. When we get that calling, when we get that nudge, if we say, I'm not good enough, I'm not educated enough, I don't have enough money, I'm not political enough, that's not what God asks. Yeah. We just have to show up. Show up. <laughs> Suit up and show up. Yep. And um, so thank you so much. We're, we're towards the end of the program. We're in our last minute, minute and a half. Um, COVID has, has exploded so many things, the spikes of domestic violence, the spikes of things that we've already talked about. Which, what for you will be the greatest difference after COVID, do you think? I think the greatest difference is going to be a, to be able to hug people again, be able to touch them. I believe that God created us to be in relationship, and we have had to distance ourselves from each other. And um, I know that's – I got to see my grandchildren after a year and hugged them and kissed them, and all I could say is thank you, God. Yes. Absolutely. Peggy, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for being on Rescuers. Thank you. And this is our anniversary show, by the way. Congratulations. One year for the Rescuers radio show. Wow. That's awesome. Faith Talk 1360. Amen. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.